0: It's uh, nice to be with you all again. Um, sorry for David. So if you're not a regular and uh, you're here today, please come back next week for David. All right? That's uh, that's meant with all sincerity. We continue to work our way through the Word of God, and we are on Jonah. We're continuing our, our passage, uh, and we're at Jonah chapter three. So if you could open your Bibles, we're going to just read the first three verses of Jonah chapter three. Uh, I just wanted to encourage you, though, just as Jonah went out to the Ninevites and they were a long way away and they were converted and the godly in Israel would have been encouraged by this. Um, The gospel is going forth with great power and the reformed faith is going forth with great power, literally to the uttermost parts of the earth. We've just had a a meeting down in Florida and I'm just going to highlight one area which was down in Mexico, the Mexican Presbyterian Church. It's the only denomination which has never had a split. As a, as a Presbyterian church, and it is also sound and strong, um, and uh, we're privileged to work. They have 13 seminaries in total, and we're privileged to 17 in total, and we, we work with 13 of them. But one of the guys was saying that they went down to a very remote area and started preaching and teaching and doing some men's courses down there, and he said the first night they had 300, which they were quite ex- you know, excited about, and then the next night it was six, and then the next night it got up to eight, And he said, by the end of the week, they had 1,200. He said, we didn't even know 1,200 people existed in this area, and they were coming for the word of God, and they were coming to to hear. So, so, you know, God's word word is powerful, and we we look to him. We are no better than Jonah, um, and yet we look to him, don't we? And he is still working, so it's incredibly uh, exciting from that point of view. Let me pray for us, and then we'll read the word of God. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We are... Reminded both of our weakness and your grace, your strength and your power. Um, You are the one who brings all things to completion. Uh, We thank you. It is the word of the Lord. And may that word, O Lord, come to us with power and with authority and conform us more and more into the image of your son. Father, we ask you these things in Jesus name. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Amen. Now, let me just remind you where we are in our story. I know you all know the story fairly well, but we had the first calling of Jonah back in chapter 1. right? So this is when it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Well, the first time, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And as any good Christian does, he jumped up and he said, yes, Lord, here I am and I will go. Or he didn't. Rather, the sin in his heart erupted. The rebellion in his heart erupted. And he said, I will not go. I will not listen to the Lord. This is not my plan. This is not my agenda. And I have a different plan. And so in rebellion, he flees, and instead of arising and going up, that's a great, great image, isn't it? Stand up, arise, serve your God, stand before him and honor him. Jonah goes down, 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 and he goes down, and we know he is chastened unto death. He finds himself going down into the bottom of the ocean as God sends his hand of chastening judgment but thankfully, that wasn't the end of the story. And now we're on part two. And part two of the story is God intervenes, doesn't he? He's intervenes. He sent the fish. The fish has swallowed Jonah and he spat him out. And this is now the second part where a man saved from death, which he deserved, which was his, is now put to useful and fruitful service. And lives now for God and seeks God's will. And so he arises and goes to Nineveh. And this is why the story is just one of these wonderful stories about the gospel, isn't it? If you look at the story, um, is this not a picture of the whole of the gospel in in one book? Are, Are we not as those who were told what to do, have not done it, we have all gone astray, we have all sought our own way, we have turned aside, and we are worthy of death. And death is all around us, is it not? Just as, just as the grave comes and swallows us up, there are beautiful images in Isaiah, or of, 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 of frightening images, of the grave swallowing people. So Jonah was swallowed in the sea, we are swallowed up in death. The wages of sin are death. And yet, and yet, just as there's hope and life, well, there is. Because there is resurrection, isn't there? And there is new life. And so it's a picture of a sinner. It's a picture of Christ. And and our Lord makes that point very, very clear to us, right? He says very, very clearly the sign of Jonah points, just as Jonah was three days and three nights, In the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the earth. And you say, well, why was he in the earth? Because he obeyed. When the word of the Lord came to the Lord's servant, our Lord Jesus Christ, he did not disobey. He did not turn his face. He said, I will go. And he went and he obeyed. And so you say, well, why did he go to death? For you. For me, when he he took upon himself our sins, which had to be paid for, that that had to be dealt with, God, God can't overlook them. He provides for them. He provides a savior for us. He cannot overlook them. And so he goes and he offers himself up. The one for the many. And he bears the fruit of death. But afterwards, he rises again. And afterwards, he has an even greater ministry, if I may say this, as the resurrected Son of Man, as the Christ and the Messiah. His his ministry before is to Israel, but his ministry afterwards is to the world. And that's what we have here in Jonah. And then, what a, a blessing it is for us. What a blessing it is for us, worthy of death, yet in Christ we died. And in Christ we were buried, and on the third day he rose again, and we will rise with him. And that life that you used to have, full of disobedience, uselessness, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, right? Vanity of vanities. It's useful. No, it's profitless in God's sight. It offers nothing if you're you're not a Christian. It doesn't offer anything. Yet now you have been raised. You have that hope of eternal life in Christ. And you are useful and profitable. And that's the story of Jonah, isn't it? And it's the story of of the gospel. And what a wonder it is that there is this parallel, right? Jonah's designed to, to drive that home. Jonah called. Jonah disobeys, Jonah prays, and then part two, and this is where we are. Jonah's called again, but now Jonah obeys. And we're going to hear a prayer again, which, which is going to concern us. And then we get to the last final point of the whole book of Jonah, where we get the heart of God. There's no parallel on this last point when we get there. In chapter four, where God says, look at my heart. This is who I am as your God. And Jonah is forced to look at his heart and to say, is my heart like the heart of Christ? Is my heart like the heart of my God? And it forces us, doesn't it? It asks us that question, do we have the heart of Christ who will give himself as a substitute and a ransom for others that they might not die but have everlasting life? It's the book of Jonah, that's the wonder of it, all concentrated, all put down in the story of Jonah. So let's look at the second call then, which is before us. And here again, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Remember the first time I said, he's told this, arise, in that first call, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out upon it, for their evil has come up before me. And it's almost identical wording. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. The Lord has spoken. His purposes will come to pass. His purposes will come to pass. He has plans. He has decrees. Some we know of, some we don't. But he has said these things And they will not be frustrated. What a a blessing this is to us. His promises are yea and amen. And they will come to part. Despite sin. Despite Jonah. Despite the hostility of Jonah. God's purposes will come to pass. You know, you think about the church, don't you? Jonah is is part of Israel and he's part of the church of of the Old Testament. And you look at the the history of Israel and you think, well, it's, it's not a very promising history. And yet God's purposes came to pass, didn't they? From Israel came the Messiah. From Israel comes salvation. God's purposes still come to pass. Wicked kings come and they go. Wickedness occurs in the nation, even in believers. Even in David. And yet from David comes Bathsheba and Bathsheba comes Solomon. And Solomon comes to Christ. God's purposes come to pass. And you think about the church. Sometimes when we look at the church, don't we? And and I'm not looking at the church as distinct from myself. Um, I'm looking at the church and including myself in it. We think it's a mess. And we look and we see the brokenness of it. And, And we look around and we see the failures. And we look around and we see the weakness of the church. And maybe it should be acting and it should be doing something and it should be speaking to the Ninevites. And it's not. And maybe sometimes we find gross sinners erupted inside the church and we can become incredibly discouraged. You know, there are there are those in the church, and even though they are Christ, they, they seem to spend their life fighting against the very things that Christ taught. Now there are some in the church who are unbelievers. And, and and they have the, you know they have Christ by name but 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 not by reality, but even in those who have Christ by reality. Sometimes we look and, and I can just point to David and I can point to Solomon and I can point to others and you think, Isn't this a mess? And we look around at our own folly and our own weakness and we think, What a mess. Yet God is working out his purposes. Yet in some mysterious way that we have to grasp by faith and not by sight, the kingdom is being built. The kingdom is being built. And sin does not have the strength to overcome the plans and the purposes of God. And there are so many other things that have come out. We're going to look at some of the principles that come out and say, well, why does the Lord allow this to happen? Why? I I, I like a computer program that's nice and clean, right? And it does one thing lead to the next thing that leads to the next thing. And it's not like that, is it? One thing, then we take a step back and you know in your own life and you take a step back and then something else happens and you seem to take another step back. And yet God's purposes are working their way out. And his glory will come to pass. And in some way, and we're going to look at some of these things here, because there's some principles that start to come out of a text. In some way, we can have rest and we can have confidence in that. Now, this is a second chance to serve. Uh, Jonah is speaking twice. All right. And you're going, well, that's bad, isn't it? If God speaks, we should all jump up. And we should be ready to act, and we should go, and it should all be nice and clear, because we all know in theory, don't we? We know that we serve the living God. We know that we made, we serve the one who made the heavens and the earth. And so if God speaks, we go. It's very simple. Well, if you do a study of Scripture, you find out that it's actually not that simple. And if you do a study of Scripture, you find out that Jonah is not unique, In having to be told more than once what to do. Now, I hope you're beginning to think, right? I'm giving you that that pause so that you can start to think your way through the Old and the New Testament. And if you start to think your way through the Old and the New Testament, very quickly you come up with a list of people who are told and have to be told more than once. They're given a second chance. And actually, I don't like the wording second chance, doesn't it? Because it sort of implies that it's over after two. And yet God's grace extends way beyond that. So Moses, off you go. I have ordained you to go down and I've ordained you to bring out my children from Israel. Yes, Lord, I'm ready to go. No, No, I can't. I can't. I don't speak well. I don't understand. Please raise up somebody else. Now now you think about this for a moment. Moses isn't a walk-on part of the Old Testament, is he? He's a major force in the Old Testament. He is the law and the prophets. So much so that the scriptures will go on to say of Moses, the law comes through Moses. And we know that Moses' influence is this incredible shadow over the whole of the Old Testament. And and the prophets at one level, they don't teach you something new when you get to the prophets. They're repeating the themes of Moses. Yes, they're they're expanding them. But they're repeating them. So the very foundational person in the Old Testament is somebody who didn't just jump up and say, yep, I'm ready to go. He had to be told more than once. Jeremiah. Jeremiah, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And he says, yes, Lord, I'm ready to go. And the next words come out. Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. And the Lord had to say to him, do not say I'm only a youth. For to all whom I send, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak, and do not be afraid of you, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Elijah. That, that great prophet Elijah, who has had just had a mighty victory at Mount Carmel, and everything is lined up for success, isn't it? And he... Fails and he runs and he has to go back and he has to be recommissioned and then you get to the New Testament and all the apostles are perfect, aren't they? Uh, you know, you do get somebody like Paul who just God says go and he goes. All right. So thank the Lord that there are those who go and they go. But Peter, not so much. Right. Peter, not so much. He's got to be told once, he's got to be told twice, he's got to be recommissioned in Galilee because he has failed and he has fallen and he's broken. And yet he is the one that God has chosen to use. You know, there's a pattern in scripture that we don't get things right the first time. In fact, we, it takes a long time sometimes before we get things right, before we learn And in their ministry, God speaks to us quite often, doesn't he? And it takes a while sometimes. And we don't seem to go, and our hearts are not what they should be. But graciously, God gives that second opportunity for service. He doesn't take it away. Where there is repentance, where there is brokenness, there is restoration, and there is life. Because Christ has forgiven us. For our sins. And these things point us to this great picture, doesn't it? God uses broken and sinful people to do his work. This is the strangeness of the gospel. God uses broken and sinful people. And we've seen even the greatest saints struggle. They struggle with their callings. They struggle with what God has, has called them to do. And and God could so easily have said, I will use the angels. But he hasn't. He said, my people who are called by my name, they will go forth. And they will work. Broken, sinful, sometimes disobedient like Jonah. But he calls these broken people to Himself. In fact, we can go further and we can say, actually, God picked Jonah because there were things that were broken in Jonah. God picked Jonah because there were things and God will work in Jonah even as he is working to save the Ninevites. Brethren, when we look at our leaders, well, let's start with ourselves. We are broken. No matter who you are, we are broken. And therefore, rejoice in the grace of God. Do not try to make yourself worthy. If he calls you, go in your brokenness. Don't say, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need to do this. He's called you and be dependent upon his grace. Be dependent upon his grace. Don't expect too much of your leaders. I'm not saying that we don't have to have holy conduct, and I'm not saying that there are that there are principles in Scripture where if a man will be an elder in the church or if an man will be a deacon in the church, those principles are there. But they will fail. They are under-shepherds of the church of Christ. Christ is the one who stands, isn't it? Don't you get that accusation? Well, if it was true, well, if it was true, then... That that, that Christianity is why why do church people fail? Why do people fail? Because they're not Christ. They're not the head. This is the wrong side of glory. And there will be a right side of glory when you will look at them and you will see them in all their glory. And I will look at you and I will see you in all your glory. Let's not be arrogant when we speak, let's be humble. You know, the church has has two images which are often applied to the church. Well, we we sang about one of them today, which is this mighty army, right? We sang about how the church is to go out and be a mighty army. And you think about Jonah, right? What was Jonah supposed to go out? He was supposed to go out to another city in another country, and purely by speaking the word of God, he was to bring them to obedience and submission to, to, to the one true living God. That is the work of a mighty army. Go forth, be a mighty army. Claim the things that you need to claim. But there is another image, and that is a hospital. Those who are well do not need a physician, right? Those who are sick need a physician, and he is the good physician. And we have these two things, don't we? That run all the time through scripture. And we get it wrong. And we get the balance wrong. And sometimes we focus on the mighty army. And we're there. And we're ready to project. And we're ready to say what's wrong with the rest of the world. And we're ready to stand in, 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 in sort of dogmatic statements. And to speak about how they must turn. And we must. Because if Jonah hadn't gone to Nineveh and said these things. The Ninevites would still be in their sins and heading to judgment. And yet we do it. As those who are broken. And we do it in great humility. Knowing this, that the church is not only an army, it is a hospital. It's a hospital. And so when Jonah is called and when Jonah goes out and when God speaks to you, each one of you, he has more than one thing. He's always doing more than one thing. Right? Remember a little earlier, I said the very reason for choosing Jonah wasn't because Jonah was good. It was because God needed to work on Jonah, even as he was sending Jonah to work on the Ninevites. Right. They're not exclusive. They happen at the same time. God knew Jonah. God knew his heart. He knew what he needed. And he says, I'm going to choose you. And you're going to have to wrestle with the fact that you don't love your neighbors, you should. And you're going to have to wrestle with the fact that you don't care. You, you care about the other Jews and you care about what they think, but you don't care about the lost in the way that you should. So Jonah, I'm going to choose you so you can begin to learn these things. And in the process of sending him, what does God teach him? Just those things. See, God is never doing everything... At, you know, not just doing one thing at a time. How many ministers maybe they, they get and they get into their calling and you can even imagine they they've come out of um, training. They come out to a new church. They've polished up their three sermons that they've got. They have probably actually stood in front of the mirror maybe and said, OK, I'm going to go through and make this all look good. And their focus the whole time is, is how God is going to use them to change the congregation. And what they've forgotten is that God is going to use the congregation to change them at the same time. God will use that calling to change them at the same time as he changes the congregation. And if you want an illustration of this, well, you just go to Moses, don't you? Uh, Think about Moses in the beginning. Moses has this inkling, and we don't know where he got it from. But we we, we know that God guards the heart. God directs the heart like rivers of water. Moses has an inkling that he will rise up and deliver the children of Israel. And so how does he do it? In his strength and in his anger, he rises up and he kills an Egyptian. And he says, don't they see that I will be their deliverer? Don't they understand? And when he goes away... And then God calls him again and does call him properly and he goes. And now God's doing what? He's working on Moses at the same time as he is using Moses to work on the people. And if you read through slowly, you see how Moses grows and how Moses grows until you get that statement Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. You started with Moses who will kill an Egyptian to get his way so he can deliver the people of Israel. And you end up at the end of it, Moses having been sanctified. And you know that was a problem because he doesn't enter the promised land because of his anger. It flares up again. What's happening? God, God is spending all of this time and he's not just using Moses. To deliver, he's sanctifying Moses in that process. And I, and I don't know where and what God is calling you to do. But remember, he will call, and he's never doing just one thing at the same time. He's working in you, even as he calls you to work and to witness to those. Who are around. And this is true of missionaries. It's, it's true. The stories that you get in the church. Time and time again the missionaries go out. And what are they going to do? They're going to conquer the heathen. And they're going to be great. And then they get there and they find the troubles and the difficulties. And God says I'm calling you to sanctify you. Even as I sent you. See there is one more principle that I want to deal with here. This is the principle that comes out of 1 Peter. For it is time for judgment to begin at the house of God. Right? It is time for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So God says, I have a people. I'm going to draw them. I'm going to bring every knee and every tribe and every tongue on that last day will stand before me in judgment. And the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to save the people for my own namesake. I'm going to draw them out. And then you say, great, we're God's people. It's all going to be great. And then he says, and judgment begins at the house of God. I am going to correct you. I am going to change you. I'm going to work in you so that on that day you can stand. My my love is so great. My love is so great. That I will inflict difficult circumstances on you. So that you are changed. That there will be trouble so that you learn to cry out unto me. You know, it's amazing, isn't it? The loving or the pain of our, of the, the painful love of God. I'm trying to find a nice word to say it. The painful and difficult love of God as He corrects us and as He sanctifies us and as He prepares us for going out and ministering and for going out into glory because if there is no suffering judgment begins here and why does the church suffer why do we have these difficulties well judgment first starts with us as he corrects and changes us as he prepares us but if you are without suffering if you are without chastening what does the word of god say you are not sons you are not sons And so we look at suffering, don't we? And the Bible calls us to look at suffering in such a different light. The world looks at suffering and it is just suffering. And it is to be avoided with all cost. And the scripture says, no, no, no. It's sanctifying suffering. It is loving, heavenly, parental discipline. Suffering. And not one drop of that suffering, one moment of that suffering will be wasted. Because I will sanctify it to you. Think of the suffering that Jonah went through. It was sanctified to him, wasn't it? It was sanctified to him. So Jonah arises. Arises. Jonah responds. Through discipline, Jonah's obedience has grown. It is through the painful process of discipline that our obedience grows. It is the training in righteousness, which is not pleasant. And we're not trying to sell you on that at all. It is not pleasant. But it is fruitful. It is fruitful, and it is never lost. And God is always taking what is in front of us and sanctifying it. And he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. For at this moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later on, it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I want you to think about Jonah one last time as we close. Had Jonah disobeyed, what would his fruit have been? Had, Jonah, had God let Jonah keep going, what would his fruit have been? And, and on that day when we will stand before God and, and give an account, and I know there are there are there are, there are areas here of repentance that if we come back we'll look at what repentance means and how it has to be both inward and outward, but it certainly is outward. It doesn't just something that we change inwardly. No, no, no. It's certainly outward. So, so there is something here with Jonah. On that day, there is a fruit of righteousness. He has spoken to the Ninevites. He has fulfilled his commission and his calling. But what would it have been had God not intervened? And this is the wonderful thing, and we'll leave you with this. Our God gives you resurrection life. After the fish, he's thrown up. He stands. He has life. Jesus Christ, our great Lord, after death stood up. He is given life. And fruitfulness. Don't forget that. And fruitfulness. A calling unto fruitfulness which pleases God. Remember how the Lord Jesus Christ went to the the fig tree. And he said, I'm coming to the fig tree. I want some figs. And there were no, no figs on the fig tree. There was no fruit. And it displeased him. And he caused judgment down upon it. Our God is fruitful and he desires fruitfulness. And in Christ, there is fruitfulness. Not just life eternal, but there are works with matter which have meaning and have eternal consequences. And Jonah finally has arisen so that he can embark on those good works, which it says in Ephesians, which God has prepared beforehand that you might walk in them, even unto the glory of God. So let's uh, let's pray.